Thank you very much, Academy. I wish I could carry that with me. I'm on the plane tomorrow morning. Um, that's the perspective that we need as well, right? Um, that's the day that we're living for. Um, it really does help us keep in perspective um, everything in this life, right? Knowing that our experience here is temporary. There's a day coming when Christ will make all things new. Let's live for that day. Let's live for that day. Thank you very much. Uh, we, my wife and I, have just really enjoyed, our son as well, um, our time with you here at Maranatha. Thank you so much for receiving us so warmly. Such wonderful hospitality. Um, you've all been so friendly and welcoming of us, and we, we really, really are thankful. We've been so encouraged, so blessed to be here with you, um, and really have enjoyed the opportunity of meeting so many of you, and, and really, I would, I would love to meet more of you if I could. I'll be here to the middle of the afternoon, more or less, today, and I'd just be encouraged again. I've, I've enjoyed hearing how the Lord is working in your lives, um, how He's leading you, uh, the desires that he has given you for, for ministry, for, for life, and I'd love to hear more of that from you uh, today if uh, the Lord would allow our paths to cross. So we we'll really encourage you to come by the table in the lobby where I'll be in and out um, through the middle of the afternoon so we can get to know each other a little bit. Maybe you could share with me how I could pray for you as you're seeking the Lord's direction um, and uh, really his will for your life. Um, and for the future. Uh, could, we, could we pray together? Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 once again. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And I would, I would like for us to pray again. Um, um, I, I love this, this story that's told of, of Charles Spurgeon. That when he would walk up all the steps to that great pulpit of his. Um, it said that on every step as he ascended those steps to go preach... He would repeat to himself, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Um, and maybe we could pray right now and tell God that we believe in the Holy Spirit and that we are waiting together for his working among us. Uh, what do you think God would do if we joined our hearts together right now and told him that? Uh, we're assembled together this morning and we're waiting on the Lord. Uh, we're expecting and longing for God to work in us and among us. What do you think God would do if we joined our hearts together like that uh, and asked for his working among us? He would certainly answer. He would certainly answer. Uh, so let's pray together and ask for the, the Lord's working among us by the power of his spirit. Father, we do believe in the Holy Spirit and we believe that he who, who gave these words that we're about to consider is able to illumine them. He is able to open our eyes and open our hearts and, and work in us by his power to accomplish your purposes in our lives. And 
Dear God, I pray that he would work today in such a way that the ripple effects of these minutes that we have together this morning would be felt among the nations of the world and in the ages of eternity. That is our hope. That is our prayer. And we believe that the Holy Spirit can do that. And we ask together, we ask together that he would work among us in that way today for the glory of your name. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. About a week ago, uh, my wife and I were in Argentina visiting some of our missionaries there. And I stood on a hill overlooking the city where our missionaries serve. It's a city of around 140,000 people and growing. And I could see from that hill really the entire city. And there in that town where our missionaries labor, as far as we can tell, there's only one church that is teaching God's word faithfully and preaching the gospel of Christ. On Sunday, two weeks ago, we traveled to another city where our missionary is also leading a church, a church that was left without a pastor. He's leading two churches right now. And as we drove to that city, we drove through another, uh, another city that, uh, that, that, that has tens of thousands of people. And as far as they are aware, there's no church there preaching the gospel of Christ. How could that story be repeated about community after community and city after city and country after country in our world in 2003? And as I, even right now, think about standing on top of that high hill and looking over that place, can't help but think, as, as we considered yesterday and as we're going to consider again today, there's, there's something glorious. That's Paul's word. That's the Apostle's word given by the Holy Spirit. There's something glorious that could potentially happen in those places. Right now, darkness. Oh, but there's something glorious that could happen there. Yesterday, we began considering 2 Corinthians 2, verses 14 through 17, and, and their theme, the theme in these four verses, the glory of gospel ministry. These verses describe what happens in every place. That's the wording in verse 14. These verses describe what happens in every place where the gospel is faithfully proclaimed. It's what could happen in those cities and towns that we observed in Argentina. It's what could happen in the darkest places in this world as God's people take the name of Christ to those places. And we noticed yesterday that these verses are not just for those in full-time vocational ministry. These verses call all of us, all believers, to commit ourselves to the blessed cause of Christ. They compel all of us to give ourselves to what God is doing in the world. So we want to continue considering that theme today in, in these four verses, the glory of gospel ministry that, that compels all of us to give ourselves to that cause. 
Let's read them again, then we'll recover briefly what we saw yesterday in verse 14 and examine the rest of the passage together. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death. And to the other the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God in the sight of God speak we in Christ. Yesterday we looked at verse 14 and we saw that the gospel ministry is an experience of glorious gratitude. Thanks be unto God, verse 14 says. Thanks be unto God for these two things that he does. He always causeth us to triumph in Christ. And we looked at that word yesterday and that great celebration, that Roman victory parade that that is the ministry of the gospel. It's a grand celebration, a spectacular thing to see and participate in what God is doing in the world. It's a glorious, spectacular celebration all the time, always. And then we saw that God uses us in proclamation. He maketh manifest the savor of the knowledge of Christ by us in every place. He uses us to make Christ known. He uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ in every place. And that is a reason for gratitude. Glorious gratitude in the ministry of the gospel. But look at verse 15 and and look at the first word there, for, because. God is going to explain to us what happens as God uses us in proclaiming Christ. He maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. And now he's going to explain what it looks like as God does that. What it looks like as we proclaim the gospel, as God uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ. What does that look like? Or maybe we could say it this way. What can we expect as we participate in what God is doing in the world? I think we could put it this way. The gospel ministry is an experience of glorious gratitude, but I think verse 15 and verse 16 also lets us know that let us know that the gospel ministry is an experience of glorious expectations. This is what we know takes place as we proclaim the gospel. Look at those verses again. For we are, and what are the next two words? Say them out loud, please. We are Unto God, a sweet savor of Christ. Here's the first expectation we can have as we proclaim the gospel. As God uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ, this is what we can expect. We can expect God's own approval. 
We are the sweet savor of Christ unto God. When we proclaim Christ, when we exalt the Lord Jesus, when we spread the sweet savor, the sweet fragrance of Christ everywhere, we are actually offering that in the first place to God himself. And we don't need to have any doubt in our minds about what God thinks of that savor of his son. He said it, he said it, and it's still true. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. When you gather in your churches on the Lord's day and sing of Christ, God delights in that. Think of the heart of the father when he hears people exalting his son. When he hears people singing, as we did today, more than all in him I find. What happens in the heart of the Father when he hears his people join together and sincerely sing of their joy in Christ, of their satisfaction in Christ, of their love for Christ? What happens in the heart of the Father? He delights in that. You can be absolutely certain of that. He never tires of hearing of our love for Jesus Christ. And as you go out and talk of Christ and proclaim Him, and God uses you to make manifest that sweet aroma of Christ, when you talk of His finished work on the cross, when you talk of the fact that He took on himself our sin and suffered the just wrath of God in our place and fully satisfied the justice of God. When you talk of his resurrection and victory, when you talk of his place at the right hand of the Father, when you talk of his reign, how he governs this universe according to his will, when you speak of his coming again to reign forever, the Father hears that. The Father hears that, and He delights in it. You can be absolutely certain of that. And that is true whether there are 500 people gathered or whether there are five people gathered together exalting Jesus Christ. That exaltation of Christ rises like a sweet aroma, a sweet savor up to the throne of the Father, and He receives it with delight. I mentioned yesterday those who serve in places where the gospel is prohibited <laughs> legally. And you think of that little group of people huddled together in that little apartment with the lights off. But they're exalting the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, that, that aroma rises from that little place right up to the throne of God. And he rejoices. He approves of that. And men here who preach the word of God, men here who will preach the word of God, preach Jesus Christ. Preach Christ. 
And for every believer here, as you go out and serve while you're students and in the future, as God scatters you from here and you join with faithful local churches, you keep exalting Christ. Keep those churches focused on the Lord Jesus and you can, abs- you can be absolutely certain God will delight in it. You can expect God's approval. But secondly... Here's another glorious expectation. Look back at verse 15. We are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. God is the primary audience, but he's not the only one. We are doing this as we proclaim Christ. God God receives it and he approves of it. But we're actually doing that among people who are saved and among people who are perishing. And I'll just point out to us this morning, that's everybody, right? There's no third category. And I think we can draw from that this expectation. You can expect human response. You can expect people to respond. You can expect God's approval. And you can expect human response. Everyone's going to respond. Everyone's going to respond. Everyone here today will respond. Your response will lead to life or death. And sadly, many hear of Jesus, many will hear the gospel, and they will take it as a savor, verse 16 says, of death, and the result will be death. 1 Corinthians puts it like this, we preach Christ crucified, and that message of a Messiah on a cross, when you give that message to the Jews, they can't get beyond that idea of a crucified Messiah. That's a stumbling block to them. And when you preach that message to Gentiles, a Savior who died on a cross, that's absurd. It's foolishness to Gentiles. And in 2023, they say things like this. What does the death of a Jewish man on a Roman cross in the first century have to do with me in 2023? What a ridiculous thing to give my life to. And they reject that. It's a savor of death. And it leads to death, eternal death, eternal condemnation in the lake of fire. But praise be to God, others will hear that same message. And to them, it will not be a savor of death. It will be a savor of life. They will hear that same message of life. Life for sinners. Life for sinners dead in their sins. Life for sinners burdened down with guilt. And they will hear a message of life. They will hear of Jesus who died on the cross and rose again and ascended to the Father's right hand. And for them it will be a message of life. And they will believe by the grace of God and they will have life, eternal life, through Jesus alone. They will receive that message as a savor of life and the result will be life. Friends, that is a glorious expectation we can have. We can expect the approval of God as we exalt His Son. And we can expect a universal human response. 
Some will hear, and it will be a message of death, a message of death. And some will hear, and it will be a message of life. But let's recover the glory of gospel ministry, this glorious gratitude. He always leads us in triumph, and he uses us to spread the savor of the knowledge of Christ. Glorious expectations, God's approval, and human response. But it makes a lot of sense that verse 16 ends with the question that it ends with. Look down at verse 16 again. We're talking about giving this message that will be a message of eternal life or eternal damnation. That's what we're doing when we proclaim the message of Christ. So this question makes a lot of sense, right? Who is sufficient for these things? Who has got what it takes to do that? And verse 17 answers that question, and we'll just use the word that verse 16 uses, that word sufficiency. Verse 17 tells us about the, our glorious sufficiency in the ministry of the gospel. Okay, glorious gratitude, thanks be to God. Glorious expectations, God's delight, and people's response. And now glorious sufficiency in verse 17, and, and before he actually talks about our sufficiency, he, he gives a little bit at the beginning of verse 17, a, a small description of, of the false sufficiency of many people. Look at verse 17. We are not as many. There are many people like this. We are not as many which corrupt the word of God. Paul is letting us know that there is a false way of answering that question in verse 16. There's a wrong way of answering that. The word corrupt there in verse 17 was used, for example, of someone who sold wine for the expected price. But the wine had been watered down. And Paul says, through the Holy Spirit, many people do that with the Word of God. They alter the message they ad adjust the message to please people and get visible results. That is a kind of sufficiency. Okay, isn't that true? You can fill stadiums like that. <laughs> if that's all you're after, you can adjust the message and fill stadiums of people. And you can get people to give a lot of money if you adjust the message but it's all false, it's all carnal, it's all human strategy, and achieves nothing but human results. So Paul says, we're not like that. Here is our true sufficiency. As of sincerity, as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. That is God's way of saying, those things are all you actually need. Think about those words, sincerity. It means there's no mixture of motive. You're not doing this because it brings you gain or glory. You're doing this because you believe it. You're doing this because Christ has changed your life. He has taken control of your life, and you cannot help but give this message. This is our sufficiency in the ministry of the gospel. In whatever we do for the Lord, we're not putting it on 
We're not trying to attract attention. We're doing what we're doing because we believe it. That's sincerity. There's such power. That's why God uses this expression here and this idea of sufficiency. There's such power in sincerity. I love the story in church history of George Whitfield, uh, a skeptic. David Hume was going, was, somebody caught him in the street running to hear George Whitfield preach. And they asked Hume, You don't believe what Whitfield preaches? And David Hume said, No, I don't. But he does. And Hume, even a skeptic, was was captivated by a man who was consumed with the message that he was giving. That's sincerity. This truth, this Savior has taken hold of me. He has captured me by his love and by his work and by his grace, by his glory. And I cannot but help, I cannot help but give his message. That's sincerity. And it says, as of God, we are God's representatives. We're sent out from God. We give his message. We carry out his will as his ambassadors. We're not building for ourselves. We're not ministering for ourselves. We are giving his message for his glory. And that we find our sufficiency. And in the sight of God... We often use that negatively, right? God is watching, so we need to be careful. That's true. The Bible teaches that. But the positive is also true. And you just think about ministering in some out-of-the-way place where the gospel is not known and nobody knows you're there. God knows. You're ministering in the sight of God. And he will never lose track of you. There's sufficiency in that. And then we speak in Christ. Again, in union with Jesus is the fountain of all life, all strength, all sufficiency. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Friends, this is all we need. This is magnificent, glorious sufficiency. Sincerely, as God's representatives, before his sight and in and through Christ we speak. We don't need anything else. That's the glory of gospel ministry. There's glorious gratitude and glorious expectations and glorious sufficiency. Men and women, we need to recover the sense of glory. We need God to stir in us a sense that we can actually feel of the magnitude, the glory of what he is doing in the world today. It is so easy for us to become accustomed to our routines. And we lose a sense of the glory. We need God to give it back to us. Would you please bow with me? And before I pray, could we take some time to respond to the Word of God personally? You have your heads bowed and your eyes closed. 
I just offer a couple of applications there as we're praying, as we're responding to the Word of God. I have no doubt in my mind that there are people without Christ in this room today. You've heard the gospel today. You've heard what God has done to save sinners like us. You have heard of a powerful Savior who delights to save sinners. You have heard that God has provided everything that He requires of us. God has provided it. And He calls on you to repent and believe the gospel. Repent and trust in Jesus Christ. And I want to remind you, your response to the gospel will lead to eternal life or eternal death. We are finishing up this morning. I want to ask you, I want to plead with you, would you right now, right there in your seat, respond with repentance and faith in Christ alone. Call out to him as a lost, condemned, helpless sinner, and he will save you. This could be the day when you pass from death to life. And I also plead with all the believers present here today, every single believer. So glad to have the high school here today, college students, faculty, staff. Could I plead with every single person here, every believer here, to place your life at Christ's feet today. Your whole life at his disposal. Tell him, tell him whatever part you have for me to play in this glorious work, whatever, whenever, wherever, however, I want to participate in this triumph. I want to be used in spreading the fragrance of Christ and exalting your name and seeing people respond and enjoying the sufficiency that comes from God. Would you place your life at his feet today? Don't wait, don't debate, go to Christ right now with a submissive heart and ask him to use you however he sees fit, however he sees fit. And then finally, I am certain that there's someone here today, perhaps many people here today, that God has worked in your heart regarding full-time ministry, not just today, not just yesterday, but maybe for weeks or even years. And you have not yielded to his working in your heart. You're fearful. Maybe you have sinful ambitions, selfishness. Maybe it's reputation. But he is stirring in you again. Friends, think of those dots all over the map of this world, and right now there's no fragrance of Christ rising up to the throne of God from those places. Think of the joy, the delight that it would be to go to a place like that and be God's instrument in spreading the sweetness of Jesus in that place. And having that sweet aroma rise as a delight to God's heart. And think of those who would receive that as a fragrance of life. You could do that knowing you have all you need Sufficiency. 
God is working in your heart like that right now, just acknowledge that right now. Just acknowledge it. And yield to it right now. And begin to pursue that right now. And you will know, you will know the experience of this text of Scripture that we've considered. The glory, the glory of gospel ministry. Father, thank you for these precious words that you have given us yesterday and today. Lord, I ask again that you would bring to completion, bring to fruition the work that you are doing in our hearts right now. Lord, help us, help us again to find some quiet place right now in the next few minutes and respond, respond to your working in our hearts. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.